Jarvis Neely here, you already know, it's your boy, the mayor of SF. What's up, this is Travis from Death to Someday. Yo, it's Justin from Tilted Rim SF. Shout out to my guy, Gio. Titled Unlimited. One loved, one titled Unlimited. Untitled Unlimited. Nico for show in the motherfucking house. What's good, y'all? This is Gio from the Untitled MP3 Podcast. I just want to say welcome back if you're a reoccurring listener. And if you're a new listener, welcome to the Untitled MP3 Podcast. This is a platform where we explore the minds of creative human beings. If you want to stay connected with us, you can go on our website, untitledunlimited.com, uh, and follow us on Instagram, Untitled Unlimited. That's uh, just plain and simple like that. Um, anyhow, Thank you for tuning in. Uh, this is going to be a good interview. We actually interviewed Bay Area artist Nico for show. Uh, his style is kind of like a, a West Coast funk style, which I enjoy so much. So I thought it was a huge privilege, a huge honor to speak to him. Uh, it's a good conversation. We spoke about his music journey. We spoke about basketball and we spoke about a lot more. So I really hope you guys enjoy this audio file. I enjoyed the conversation. So with further ado, no more yap in my mouth. Uh, let's get into the Nico for show audio file. Hope you guys enjoy. Said I'm deep down and dirty. I grew up hella early. Quit whining. I'm grinding. Bling blow. Shining like hey, yo, Welcome back to the Untitled MC3 podcast. This is Gio here and I'm so excited to present who we have on today. Today's uh, guest is an artist based out of the Bay Area. He recently dropped a seven song album called La Puerta. It's on. It's honestly one of my favorite albums. It's so freaking good. Um, he he has a West Coast style that's a fusion of like hip hop and funk, and I'm sure there's a lot more that I'm forgetting. And in my eyes, he's probably one of the smoothest rappers out now. I don't think I don't think a lot of people are touching him. To be honest, uh, I see the potential in this guy's artistry, and he provides music that's gonna inspire you. Uh, music that'll question your grind. Music that'll make you proud to be a Bay Area native. And uh, music that'll make you want to dance, smoke, and chill. Today's guest is Nico for show. What up, my man? Hey, what's going on, bro? Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Dude, no problem. It's good to see you. Um, we are talking a little bit before this. I just want to let you know that I, like, li- really love your album, La Huerta. Uh, me and Wifey, like, we listen to it all the time. Like, that's my test dummy for music. Hey, so, right on. So, like, I, I play shit on the speaker, and I hope she likes it so I can keep playing it. And when your shit comes on, she's like, all right, cool. I'm feeling this. <laughs> That's what's up, man. Yeah, I know a lot of people, they want to go to the girls first and then have the girls show the guys the music. But for some reason, my audience is more dudes. So, you know, anytime a dude gets to show as a lady and just kind of spread the word, you know, it's appreciated. I I love I love my brothers and all. But, you know, you got to have the ladies (laughs) listening, too. (laughs) Hey, man, that's 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 why Drake is killing it. He went for the ladies first. He was like, fuck all the dudes. Um, Man, before we also before we get started. Thank you, bro. Look at this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For those of you who can't see and are only listening on uh, like Apple Podcasts or something, he actually had merch with his last album. And it's a tape, like a tape that you would put in a boombox, which I freaking love. Uh, I, I ended up getting one and it's this quality, bro. Thank you so much for this. This is dope. Oh, no problem, bro. No problem. Yeah, I hope you get a. Do you have a tape deck yet or not yet? Not yet, man. I used to, but uh, that, it's a while ago, so. Yeah, yeah, you gotta be careful. It might eat that shit up. That's <laughs> can I cuss on here? Yo, of course, man. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I got that. So I got two tapes out so far. I got them right here. The nice. Power EP with me and Kingston, produced by Diamond Ortiz, and then this one, La Huerta. You know, just trying to find little ways to at least break even, or maybe you know, come out with a little bit of income. So, 
it's a hobby for me, but at the same time, I, I want to be able to make money off it if I can, but I'm going to do it in a genuine and organic way. So. There you go, man. I feel like it also goes like your, when you listen to your music, it's obviously like it's, it goes well for the new sound, but it has an old soul to it. So yeah. I think like your old soul really matches with this type of merch. Like, hey man, yeah. I, I'm just an old soul in 2020 and I'm just yeah. trying to just express myself. Is that accurate? Would you say? Yeah, definitely. I, I don't think for me, it's not even a conscious thing because like I just listen to what I listen to. But like I don't turn the radio on in my car. Like I'm very I'm a DJ as well as a rapper. Um, so I'm very meticulous about the music I like. And it's not like I was going for a West Coast sound or anything, but that is what I grew up on and what I listen to a lot and where I get a lot of my influence. So it wasn't intentional, but it's just it's good music. And I figured, you know, I could keep pushing it and not a lot of people are doing it. So I figured, why not? You know, just go with this sound for a while and just, uh, you know, let it breathe and see what happens with it. Dope, dude. Um, I just want to get into this before anything. You almost broke my heart, man. On Instagram, you said you were not going to make any more music. And in my mind, I was just like, fuck, I just found out about this guy and he's not going to yeah. have any more music. Yeah. Uh, explain to us like why you went through that mindset. Because uh, I'm sure there's a lot of behind the scenes that listeners don't know, that critics don't know, that, that friends don't even see, but that you know and you know how hard it is. So ex explain what led to, uh, to that point, if you don't mind. Yeah, definitely. Um it's, it's definitely a grind, the music situation. Um, I've been in a situation where nothing was really handed to me. I, I never found a team or I never found a more experienced person who took me under their wing and kind of showed me this is how you do it and connected me with certain people. I've kind of been on an island the whole time. So with that given, I had to learn a lot of things the hard way. And sometimes the hard way, a lot of the time, the hard way is the expensive way as well. Mm. Um, in the situation I'm in, I feel like I had to play dumb to get smart. And when I say that, it's because there's a lot, especially in this music situation, there's a lot of people driven by ego and a lot of shady people. And if you let them know the information that you're trying to obtain from them, they might withhold that from you just because they want to keep the leverage in the yeah. relationship. So I was dealing with a lot of that and just getting kind of fed up with it. And then, um, you know, not to say that that's all the relationships I've had. I've met a lot of really cool people too. Uh, but it was that. And then me starting to think about, you know, I'm 28 years old, turn 29 tomorrow, start saving up for a house, like at the beginning of the year. And as I'm getting closer to my goals, uh, you know, me and my lady are, you know, got a number that we're working towards so that we can get our own place. I was like, man, I really got to start cutting costs just with typical lifestyle stuff in the music for me still is more a hobby than anything. And I love doing it, but I, I was looking at it and I was realizing, man, I'm spending money on the beats unless I have like a really cool producer who's like, oh, just, you know, I'll throw you beats. And then you got the mixing and mastering costs. Uh, then you got promotion. You got to do your cover art. You got to pay for any promotions you're going to do. And then you're, it, it's just a lot of the stuff that was coming with the music and being my own, not having a team pushing me, but just pushing me by myself, mm. it was getting kind of wearing. So that's where I was coming from when I said I was going to quit. But to be honest, I got a lot of feedback, a lot more feedback than I expected from it. Of people telling me like, nah, man, you shouldn't like, just keep going, keep going. And it really kind of made me realize like, oh shit, there's people who are like really listening to me and, uh, you know, like really enjoy my music. And uh, it kind of, it was humbling and it made me second guess. So now I'm like trying to figure out how to cut costs, but still make a high quality of work. And that's where I'm at right now. And 
luckily, like uh, this guy that I'm working with right now, Osmito, who I'm going to make my next project with, he threw me hella beats and like we didn't even discuss the numbers till after. And as long as I can keep meeting people like that who aren't, who are going to help me make the product that I want to make, yeah. then I'll be able to keep doing it. But when I was speaking that day, I was coming from a situation like, man, like I was, I was feeling like Kanye up his sway. Like, no, <laughs> you know, like, no, no, you don't have the answers. Like, oh, shit. but, uh, you know, I, I was definitely very humbled by the response. Yeah, man. Um, that it definitely would have sucked if you would have stuck with that, especially cause I really do enjoy your music and I'm sure a lot of people do as well. Um, there was actually, I, I couldn't find it today, but I, I swore there was a song on La Huerta where you were talking about the grind. You were talking about how much studio time costs. Am I, am I tripping? Oh, no, that was a feature. That was Bose de Leon. Uh, oh, Ricky, Ricky. got so, it. Sorry yeah, about that. that. No, no, that's all good. Uh, that, that was one of my favorite verses on there. Ricky was like, when I was in high school, Ricky was the first guy I knew who actually rapped. And then oh, like, wow. I would go and show him my raps in high school. And then I'd be like, what do you think? And then he just kind of be like, oh, you know, like do this, do that. So then as I got older and I started actually making music, I had to make sure to get him on that project. So shout out to Rick. He's a good, good dude. Good dude. Nice, man. Yeah, he, he really laid out a solid verse on a solid album. Um, I guess because we started with like the whole like, why are you going to stop? Let's uh, just tell people about yourself. Like, who are you? Uh, where are you based out of? And yeah. um, how did you get into music? Sure. Uh, well, I'm Nico, Nico for show. You know, I, it takes a couple of drinks in me before I become Nico for show. So that, that's when the alter ego comes out, you know, but um, yeah. I, I was born in San Jose, got a lot of family roots in Sacramento. Uh, basically, both sides, both of my parents, as soon as their families came from where they were coming from, they hit Sacramento. And then we ended up moving here when my dad uh, went to work at Silicon Valley. And then uh, we actually moved to Livermore. Do, do you know much about Livermore? I don't know much about it. I've no? been okay. there so like, in my lifetime. I've been there like four right. times. That's yeah. about it. I'll, I'll spare you that origin story. Just a small DB Spay town, like kind of the Bay. The Bay doesn't really claim it, but technically it <laughs> still is. And uh, so I, I went to school out here. And, uh, you know, just always grew up loving music. I always kind of had a different taste than everybody else. I was always listening to older stuff. And then during the LimeWire days and all that, Dang. I got really acquainted with G-Funk. And then I think around seventh grade, I've, I discovered Mac Dre. And then that just completely changed my life. And then um, so I was always making music. Like even in high school, me and my friend Albert would make it on the MP3 player he had. And it was a situation where it was like we play an instrumental, he'd do his whole song, his whole verse, and then he'd pass it to me real quick, and then I'd rap it. And then we yeah. go and show it to our friends, and they're like, hey, it's pretty good. That so is then from crazy. there, we, yeah, we went and joined a group, uh, Heen Team, and it was just some crazy-ass, cool-ass white boys who were, like, rapping at the time. <laughs> they just happened to have the stuff. And they were like, come over with us. So we were, like, making shit like that. But that was when everybody was still trying to be, like, thuggish, ruggish, and, like, I think Jay Stalin and Lil Rue and Livewire and Lil, like all them were, pot so we were all kind of trying to do that, but we were just some kids from Livermore, so it really didn't make sense. Yeah. But it was very important to uh, my growth and development, just learning how to rap on a mic and stuff. From there, I joined a couple other groups, but we all fell out, never did much. Started making my own beats uh, on a hacked FL, and uh, I fell in love with sampling. And then that's when me and Kingston made our first project together, the Pow Wow Welcome to the Powwow EP. That's on SoundCloud. And that was all beats that I made just on the Ripped FL studio. And then at that point, uh, we made a song called Oldies that was getting kind of popular. 
So I decided, you know, maybe it's time for me to outsource for the beats. And then I started hitting up modern funk artists. Uh, one of them was Diamond Ortiz, who's based out of L.A., but he's actually from San Francisco. And he was like, yeah, man, let's do it. Send me over the beats. Uh, I ended up kind of exec- taking the role as executive producer for that. And, you know, just, ma- uh, you know, making all the connections that need to be made, hitting up the people for the cover art for the tapes and, you know, uh, keeping the relationship with Diamond Ortiz cool and, uh, you know, I bought new gear, which is the gear I use now to record that tape, just because I'm a real perfectionist. And uh, yeah. uh, when I'm in the studio, you, my sometimes the engineer wants to be like, no, you're good. Like, that's good. Good. Keep going. Keep going. But it's like, I could one take stuff all day, but I want to say things Damn. the way that I want to say it. So I bought my stuff, then uh, recorded myself, uh, recorded Kingston, and then that ended up becoming the Pow Wow Music EP. Nice. And that shit was cool. Uh, it got some, some got like a cool little amount of attention. I think it was on Fizzler for a minute, but like it didn't win the contest. And, uh, I was trying to get on CMT, like Chewy Gomez hit me up and said it was like, he was digging it and stuff. But then when I tried to push forward him afterward, I didn't hear much back and return from, but it was cool for him to just be like, yeah, that's dope. And then I kind of like took a break for a year. And sorry, I'm ADD. So if I'm going all over the place, just reel oh, me in. No, nah, you're all good. It's all about you, <laughs> homie. Let's do it. I'm, I'm enjoying this. This is like a movie for me. Okay. Okay. As long as I'm not talking your ear off. But then, yeah, so I took like a year off and then kind of like the hype from the Pow Wow Music EP, it, it kind of died off. Like we, we had a couple of record labels that were talking to us about uh, pressing up some CDs, uh, some seven inch finals, and it all just kind of like fizzled out. You know, people don't have the attention span and I kind of stopped putting stuff out. Kingston ended up moving out of town and we used to live down the street from each other. So it was kind of like me and him didn't have that connection anymore where we could just meet up and build together. Cause he was a big part of me just having the courage to be like, okay, let's do it this way. Like if it wasn't for Kingston pushing me and being like, no, Cuddy, you're good. Put like, keep going. Like it sounded dope. Like before I even thought it was cool. If it wasn't for him continuing to do that, I probably would have never kept going. So I took that break. And then finally I realized like, all right, it's time to do it myself now. See what I can do. If I can recreate this magic at all or what, uh, found hunger force beats on YouTube. And I just love his sound. Like I think dude is a fucking, like he's just a genius. Like he, every beat has that West Coast feel, super chill, but at the same time it has that bounce to it where it's still up tempo. Yeah, it's, like it's, it's not too chill to the point where it's like boring or you just start right. swaying off. It keeps you, it keeps you there throughout the whole song. Yeah, yeah, and that's all from the beat. That's all I did was ride the beats on that. Like, uh, and then yeah, so then that became La Huerta, and La Huerta is a. Uh, I, I named it that because me and my lady actually went out to uh, Mexico because she was born in Mexico. She lived there for the first six years of her life. And uh, we went to Michoacan, uh, to a small town. And excuse me, because I can't roll my R's. I'm kinda, All good, man. Uh, we went to a small town called Puraron. Uh, some, it's something like that. Like, I know how to say it in my head, but I can't say it. But what was interesting about it was um, she grew up about 100 miles away from where my family in Mexico was from. And I didn't know that, we didn't know that like when we were talking to each other and eventually we talked to my aunt and she told us. So it was my first time back in Mexico. I was about a hundred miles away from where my grandfather's mother was from. And um, we, were in a, we were in her uncle's avocado farm. I'd never seen an avocado tree in my life before. Sick. Never seen an avocado, but he just had this whole farm. And you know, I, have you ever been to Mexico? Like, 
Never been. Never been. Uh, I don't know about all Mexico, but I know in uh, Michoacan, I noticed like they, they paint the bottom of the trees white. A lot of the bottom of the trees white. I'm not sure why they, some people say it keeps the ants off. Other people will say other things. I'm, I'm not sure why, but so it's all these trees and then they have the white bottoms and the avocados are just hanging. And the way they can tell an avocado is ready is it just falls off the tree. So they just go around and pick them up. And then so I'm sitting there watching it and I'm just kind of like, man, this is this is really cool. Like, forget forget going to a resort or something like this is fucking dope. So then um, we ate the av- and the avocados. If you ever can go and eat an avocado fresh, I encourage you to do it because <laughs> you can cut through the outside of it with a spoon. It's oh, so my God. That is crazy. Like, it's nothing like it is over here. So then when I when that was happening, I was watching. A lot, we were watching a lot of Sopranos at the time because when we were on the plane, we were watching Sopranos. So, you know, they're like criminal activity and drug smuggling. And I was like, what if I just made like a concept where like instead of smuggling drugs or something like that like the it's going to be smuggling avocados across the border you know what i mean and that's where i kind of got the idea from i asked my wife what would be a cool name in spanish like to call the album and she was like uh la huerta and she was like that's kind of what this is i was like all right fine bet i told the dude with the album with the cover art i told him i want to be called la huerta i sent him the picture of me at the farm and i sent him the track list i hadn't even made the shit yet but was, I was uh, is is this was this the your photo that he just yeah he, he digitized it so oh I think, sick yeah I ha- I don't know uh fuck what's his name oh yeah now like looking really close at it it is you can see like the tree and then what you're picking is an avocado yeah yeah <laughs> that's sick dude yeah. I mean and obviously it inspired the the album because if you look at the tape it has like some avocado artwork there if you look at the track listing the first song is avocado farm intro. So yeah. you definitely got tons of inspiration from that, uh, from, from that trip. Avocado trees, man. It was crazy. And, and it did, just to be so near uh, a motherland. And I was, I was really scared about how, like, I was like, man, I'm American. Like, I'm going to go down there. I don't know if they're going to like me. But, man, it was like nothing but love from the moment I touched down. It, it was like I felt at home. So that whole project was just kind of me, like, I'm dropping a lot of, um, and it made me think of my grandpa a lot because he was my connection to my Mexican roots. And I drop a lot of sayings that he said, or a lot of things that he told me uh, in that project, like take my hat off at the table when it's time to eat. Like that's something he always told me. You used to get, you know, you used to get a little slap or something if you were sitting on the <laughs> arm of the sofa. And uh, so I was, it kind of just put me in a place where I was thinking about a lot of things in my life that I hadn't thought about for a long time. And I wanted to, I wanted to record it, but at the same time, make it mean something else where it'd be able to translate to everybody else who didn't know that backstory. Yeah. Damn. Well, great job on that. And, uh, dude, this is, that's just another testament that you get your creativity and your ideas from actually experiencing life. Cause if you never would have gone on that trip, who knows like what La Huerta would have been, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, you hit, a, you hit like a lot of subjects, which I love, but I want to get in on one. Uh, you said you, you started beat making, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you still do that now or no? I still loop samples and stuff. Um, and so when I DJ, I go through a lot of old, uh, like, funk. Like, I'm a huge funkster. Like, funk, boogie, post, disco. So I'll still make my loops and I'll still uh, make my beats. But I haven't put out a beat that I made since, uh, like, to the dome. So it's been like a year and a half. I oh, still wow. got them in the vault, but I'm just waiting for them. I'm waiting for my quality to boost. Yeah, I don't want to yeah. just loop samples. I want to eventually learn how to like 
put a bypass filter on it and then put my own drum line or bass line or add my own synths. So uh, I, I'm waiting until I get to that level to start sharing my beats again. Do you do you miss the hip hop game when when samples were like the main the main way to make a make a song? Because I feel like it was super soulful, and now I think like all the legal stipulations is kind of fucked up. Like hip hop, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's kind of fucked up, man. Because sampling was such a big aspect from so the very beginning. And then even they say before they were even sampling, they were just getting disco twelve inches and rapping over the disco twelve inches. So I think that's always going to be a part of hip hop. And uh, I think there's still some people keeping it alive, like uh, London Drugs, Jay Worthy, and then uh, down in L.A. They just loop samples mostly. Nice. Um, but that's a it's a real niche market now. It's not like you're going to hear something like that on the radio. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I would I would love to see it. I would love to see it back on the radio and you know, people finding old school songs to sample again. I, I, that's, that's the music I fell in love with. So Yeah. I mean, that's one reason I really give all the respect to Jay-Z because he, he's like made songs and then he basically says, all right, all these songs, if you want to use them, they're going to be for free. I got, I basically, I went through this so you don't have to go through it. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I'm going to take all the patents off my music. So every rapper after me can use this and I get charged up the ass to use this. Cause yeah. people don't know that about music. They don't know that to make an entire album, an artist has a cap of like, a couple million dollars to freaking pass samples get the artwork just everything you were saying right. so uh yeah sorry that was like a whole loop off um no no i'm listening i wanted to i wanted to ask you a question which i'm interested in um did you go through any obstacles at first rapping being a non-black rapper um let's see i i would say no not really not really, not really. like if I was in a cipher with a bunch of black dudes, yeah, like I might, I, you know, uh, I got to really do really, really, really good. Yeah. That's how you but, get the respect, man. Yeah. But I, I don't know. Like I've been in ciphers before. I, I used to cipher a lot, like when I was living out in Sacramento and like, um, but the thing was, I was with a lot of people who were from the East coast at the time because I was working for a nonprofit and they happened to be African-American, but they were, one was from Boston the other was from um, D.C. And then another one was from uh, like Maryland. Yeah. So I didn't attribute it. And they were the ones I sharpened my sword with a lot. Those guys. Nice. And they always were kind of hard on me. But I always attributed it to me being more West Coast and then being more East Coast. Like that's the difference that I saw in it. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, I, don't, I wouldn't say that I've encountered any hardship due to that. Yeah, I guess the only reason I asked is because for, for sure, white rappers, they get it 100%. But I feel like a, a lot of Latino rappers that they come, they can like either really, really miss the, the, the mark or they can actually just like be a fat Joe or a big pun. And I right. think you're, you're one of those people that did not miss the mark. You're one of those people that got it on the head. So I was just wondering, like, this guy got bars. Did he, did he like face any obstacles but obviously not so shout out to you um just not not really uh on music right now i see man i see people are questioning your basketball skills bro i see people are questioning you tell us what's your basketball history do you play a lot or what um i shoot yeah tell us your basketball history i put up shots every day i i went to granada high school which is a high school in livermore it's a good old it's a good old school so even though I was probably, I would argue still, and I know the dude, if any of the dudes were on the team see this, they're going to be like, oh, you weren't that good. <laughs> I, I was like the second best player at that school at that time behind 
behind Hebe Brandon. I was catching up to David Williams. David Williams, if you see this, you know I was catching up to you before I broke my hand. But I just didn't fit into that group, man. I was a stoner. I was a slacker. Um, the coaches didn't like me. Teachers didn't like me. So organized basketball was never my thing. Yeah. But, you know, just growing up and playing. I'm a playground hooper. Uh, and, you know, just growing up and playing on the playground, man, and making friends or going to neighborhoods where you don't know anybody, but you start playing together and you gain that mutual respect for each other. That's what it's all about for me. And uh, I, I go out and take my shots every day. And if I see the youngsters playing half court, I'll ask them if I can jump in and but go. I got that old man game now, baby. I'm, I'm not trying to laugh. I used to be like a gazelle out there. Now, now I got to, you know, back them down, left corner or left block off, off glass every time I'm going to get them. Hey, there you go. to go over them. But, yeah, so I never played organized or anything. But, shit, you know, maybe for my 30th birthday, I'll go try out for the last pro team or something and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, do it. I, I'm willing to see some uh, some Nico for show handles. Um, yeah. In your album, you said something about uh, crying when Kobe died. What inspired you about Kobe? Oh, man, Kobe Bryant, that's uh, – when I was a kindergartner and I first fell in love with basketball, my dad would always take me and my sister to get basketball cards. And um, I remember – my dad made me a Laker fan because he was a Laker fan. Uh, he was from Sacramento, and they didn't have the Kings back when he was growing up. So he was a Laker fan, naturally. And um, for some reason, Kobe Bryant never played a game yet, but I traded my sister a Kobe Bryant card for a Michael Jordan card, who was, like, at his very top at the time. And there was just something about the dude. I was just like, hey, like, I'm going to rock with him. Like, this is going to be my favorite player. Damn. And then just to see him live up to it as much as he did – and then um, after, I remember, like, no one liked Kobe until, you know, uh, God bless his dad. But a lot of people didn't like Kobe until after he passed. Then the respect and the love came. But a lot of people hated him. And uh, I, I just always, I always admired the fact that, especially after Shaq left, that he was able to go and get two more after Shaq left. Because yeah. everybody said he couldn't do it without Shaq. And he basically, he sacrificed one he sacrificed one legacy that he could have had as a number two for a legacy as the guy and still turned out, you know, pretty, pretty up there. So um, he's just always been inspirational for me. And he's always been, uh, you know, if I would, no matter what, I would always be able to turn the TV on and know that I could count on Kobe to make me feel good that day. Mm. I could count on Kobe to come through for me if other shit wasn't, you know, coming through in my life. So when he passed, man, I just remember I called my I called my sister and I called my dad and I just, I fucking, I just broke down, man. And, and it kind of made me think about my dad too. Cause me and him didn't always growing up. Our relationship was very up and down, up and down and we're good now. But um, I'll always remember the first championship the Lakers won me and him just kind of having a moment. Like I was in third grade and I remember, you know, them officially winning against the Pacers in game six and me and my dad just having this cool, like, bro moment. Just like, all right. Like, hey, we got That's one. We got one. That's and, it. yeah, so it's just all of that is t- it's, uh, it's tied into a lot of things about my life that I value a lot. So when he passed, it kind of made me realize just like, wow, man. Like, yeah. it's, it's just deep. Sorry, I'm getting choked up just talking about it again. Yeah, man, dude, it was like a, a cultural moment when Kobe died. It's like whether you were a, a big fan of his or not, because I'm not going to say I was a big fan of Kobe. Obviously, I admired the guy, um, but I grew up being a LeBron head. I grew up with LeBron being my Kobe. Um, 
so when Kobe died, I was just like, holy shit. I didn't even know, like, I liked Kobe this much. Like, I just, I just, you know, it's one of those, those figures that will always be there and you never yeah. kind of think of them dying one day. Right. Yeah. So when he died, I was just like, this can't be real. Like, a, a fucking hell. What do you mean a helicopter yeah, fell? Yeah, so My I- sister texted me that news, like, the minute after it got posted by TMZ. Uh, so I was working at the time, and me and the dude who were working were like, no, nah, that's not true. And we started calling people, and we found out it was true. But he didn't really – he was like an older cat, and he didn't like Kobe like that. So it was no big deal to him. So I had, I had to sit there and play tough the whole day with him and act like I wasn't hurting him <laughs> and go home and cry like a baby tomorrow. Oh, that's the worst, dude. You're just like, <laughs> you know, I'm, I, you know, I want to cry, but my, my man's over here doesn't care about basketball. I just got to hold these tears in for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious dude um damn so what what ins- you think uh basketball co- culture had some type oh, of inspiration to you now for sure definitely. definitely and not even playing basketball but like i like when i remember when i was a kid like my favorite game to play with my dad is we pick a team and we try to see who can name more players from the team back and mm. forth so like laker queen abdul jabbar magic johnson and then we just keep going back and forth and i I was always kind of like a fanatic about it. I kind of lost it like around the 2010s. I was just dealing with a lot of stuff. So I wasn't paying as much attention to basketball. But if you ask me about anything from like the like 80, the late 80s to fucking 2000 and like three, I know everything about basketball. And I'm getting back into it again. It's a trip now because now I'm older than the players that I'm watching. Wow. So I'm watching it from a whole different perspective. But I'm a huge LeBron fan, too, by the way. And let's hope hey. he gets this championship this year. I hope so. I actually I hope have so. a LeBron James rookie autograph card. So what? I'm, yeah. I got Damn. a $5 pack. So, I'm, you know, that's my backup plan. So, <laughs> <laughs> I took it up on eBay. That's, uh, that's your 401k or what? Yeah, that's my 401k. I, I got pretty <laughs> graded. I got to get it graded, and if it's not a good grade, then I got to figure out how to forge good grades, but we'll get to that when it happens. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, who are you most excited for to see this season? It's about to come back, right? Yeah, it's about to come back. I think they just uh, they started scrimmages last night. Um, you know, I'm a Laker fan, so I love to see the Lakers. Uh, you know, the Clippers look really good. Um, I'm not even sure who made the cut and who did it. My favorite sleeper team is the Suns. I feel like they just have a really good young core, and they have, you know, Booker, Oubre, and they have – they're a deep bench. I think they're going to be a problem if they can hold on to all their pieces. Yeah. Uh, you know, John Morant's my favorite young player, rookie. Everybody compares him to Westbrook, but I think he's more like Iverson. He reminds me of Iverson, nice. the young Iverson. So those are the main uh, people I'm keeping to watch on now. Nice. If I'm being honest, I haven't, uh, I haven't, uh, I haven't really followed with NBA in a while because uh, I was kind of hurt after. So I used to watch NBA heavy. Uh, I was, I was always a LeBron, a LeBron fan. But the team I rode and rode and died for was the 07 Warriors. Like they were my <laughs> shit. Like fuck, yeah. dude. They got me into basketball. Well, I was playing basketball before, but they got me into watching basketball. Yeah. So uh, after they like got rid of Monte Ellis and, and they did the rebrand, I was like, fuck this whole shit, man. Oh, fuck yeah. All this NBA you guys shit. were pissed when they traded Monte. I was so <laughs> mad. I almost cried, bro. I thought it was like when Kobe died for you, bro. I was like, yeah. well, Monte left. So Monte, yeah. Man. For Bogey, right? Hey, fucking bogey? You gonna trade him for bogey? Chris <laughs> Mullen had to fucking get escorted out of the building that day. Jesus Christ, man. But, yeah. uh, but yeah. 
Westbrook. Yeah, it, I know, right? Like now, it's a bittersweet moment for sure. Now we got yeah. a whole bunch of fucking rings. Our logo still sucks ass, but I'm still I'm still a fan. Um, well, I'm mad they took away Thunder from you guys. That's oh, fucked up. Thunder was like why? the best. He was the best mascot in the NBA. He and was, then you're just gonna. It was weak though, like for the Thunder, and they don't even have a mascot. <laughs> like at least move him over to the Thunder. But I yeah. thought that was weak. That. Okay, and, so. and our logo is the most like simple. How many people have put a fucking Bay Bridge in a circle? How right. many people have done that? Like, right. why are you getting? Anyways, my bad. Uh, this is supposed oh. to be about you, my man. Uh, you have many oh, layers gosh. to you, as we can tell. <laughs> it's not only hip hop; it's basketball. Um, dude, man, I, yeah, for sure. <laughs> hey, are you? You're a shoe head too, right? Because the the other day yeah, on Instagram, yeah. you're just like, "Hey, man, this was made in 1992 at 10:42 at night and shit like that." <laughs> Yeah, I, I grew up at, uh, obsessed with sneakers, too. My parents always laugh and tell me a story about when I was playing soccer and they got me new cleats, and I, and I was, like, four years old, and I would run up to a puddle, and then I'd see the puddle, and I'd run around it because I didn't want to mess my cleats up. And I've always <laughs> been like that since I was a kid. I'd pull my shoes out of the box and look at them and, you know, just do that. My mom always wanted me to design shoes when I was a kid, but I suck at drawing, so I never got into it, but... Yeah. And then I was working at Foot Locker when I was 16, and I actually got arrested because I was stealing shoes from the Foot Locker. And uh, they fucking, they walked me out. My record's sealed now. It's the only thing I was ever arrested for. So I, it's okay. It's far enough in the rear view for me to just go ahead and say what it was. And you were 16. Come on. I was 16. They called me into work on my day off. I went there. I went to the very back, and they already <sighs> had cops there waiting for me. And the cops, the cold part about it was, the cops took my shoes because the shoes I was wearing were stolen. They were just some low-top Air Force Ones, so I didn't, <laughs> I didn't think they were going to be able to track them like that. That's hilarious. They, they found out that they were stolen. They checked the skew. So they walked me from one side of Stone Ridge Mall, all, one end, all the way to the other end, in my Foot Locker uniform, handcuffed with no shoes on, just in my socks. Oh, that's cold blood. Dirty. <laughs> that's cold blood. I, I shunned shoes for, like, maybe 10 years after that in a bit. And just recently, like I'm starting to get back into it, but uh, yeah, me and, me and sneakers have a love hate relationship for sure. I feel you, man. Well, uh, it's about that time, dude. I just want to say thank you for coming on. Uh, I had a good conversation. I wish, I wish we had the chance to meet in person, but earlier yeah. you said you might end up coming to Portland someday in the future. So if you ever do hit me up, I'm here. Uh, open door invitation. Um, okay, bro. Likewise, if you're ever over here, Right on, man. Uh, but, but before we leave, just tell the listeners, what do they have to look forward to? Where can they follow you and just keep up with just you, your music, anything you have going? Sure. Uh, my Instagram is Nico Fasho. That's N-I-C-O-F-A-S-H-O underscore. Uh, you can find me on Spotify, iTunes, any of those uh, streaming platforms. Nico Fasho, no space, N-I-C-O-F-A-S-H-O. Uh, right now on there, I have the Power Out Music EP with Matt King, a.k.a. Kingston. And then I have La Huerta, my project that's out right now that I'm pushing. Uh, expect a four-piece EP from me and Osmito. Uh, it's going to be called The Function, Live from The Function. That's going to be coming out this summer. I got a three-piece coming out with Loop Digger. I got uh, another three-piece coming out with Trailer Limon, who's a dope funk artist uh, from the Bay Area, a group of... Uh, a member of the group called the Pendletons. Got another one with High Park Funk, who's also another funk artist out in Europe. Nice. Uh, my homie Loop Digger, I got a three piece coming out with him. 
So you're going to be hearing a lot more from me, uh, you know, in the time coming up. And then we'll see where that takes us and what the next step is going to be. Dope, man. I'm excited. And if you ever need anyone to test that music on, I could be your test dummy, bro, for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah, um, I'll send you well, this next Actually, week. actually, before before we get it wrapped up, I, I, I'm dumb. I should have asked you, but I automatically assumed you were from the Bay Area. Are you from the Bay Area or not? Yeah, well, I'm from Livermore, so it okay. depends on if you consider Livermore. And I'm not, I'm not like born and raised in Livermore, but at the same time, I'm not going to be one of those guys who was born in San Jose and all my yearbook pictures are in Livermore. But I'm like, I'm from San Jose. Like yeah. I, I would, I just can't do that. Like I'm, I'm from Livermore. So <laughs> if you want to call it the Bay, it is. If not, it's all right. But, well, I'll just call it the Bay. Barrier, barrier artist. Anyways, um. Hey guys, thank you guys for tuning in to listen to this audio file of Nico for show. Uh, it's been a good time. Uh, he, he even gave you everywhere you could keep up with him, all his music pages, Instagram and all that stuff, and even the projects he has and the project he has to come. Uh, I'm super excited for that. And I just push you guys to look at his music because it's quality. It's dope. It's not going to be some rinky dink production. It's going to be as if he poured in a lot of money to his work. So, uh, yeah, guys, thank you guys for tuning in. Follow us on Instagram at Untitled Unlimited. And uh, thank you for listening. We out.